If you have your copy of God's Word, if you turn to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4 will be taking our text from this morning. Hebrews chapter 4, and I'm just going to look at verse 12 out of this, Hebrews 4. When you get there, if you're able to stand, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. I like to hear those pages being turned. Instead of buttons being pushed. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. And here the Bible says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word this morning. Help us now as we try to preach, God. May your word go out and do it a mighty work in our hearts today. We'll give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. You can be seated. There's an organization here in the United States called the American Bible Society. Every year they do a survey on the state of the Bible is what it's called, the state of the Bible. I believe they've been doing it for about 15 years now, something along those lines. But they research America. And America's response and usage of the Bible, of God's Word. During 2021, right at the height of the pandemic, you know, we had, were right quite, kind of in the middle of it. It was really real bad about that time. Americans set an all-time high of reading their Bibles during that time period in 2021. Uh, they claim that 50% of the people that they surveyed said that they read their Bible three or more times a year. <laughs> for us, a Christian, for you know somebody that loves the Word of God, that seems like very little. But believe it or not, for the United States, for the majority of people, that is actually a good number. Uh, 50% that read their Bibles three or more times a year. Now sadly, the next two years, 2022 and 2023, it dropped to all-time lows. As soon as the pandemic was kind of over and everybody was getting back to adjusting, they left the Bible on the shelf. 39% now say that they read their Bible three or more times a year. 39% of Americans. Some interesting facts that they came up with. Women are more likely to be Bible users than men. They say 41% of those are women and 36% men. Never married people are the least likely to use the Bible. But interesting, people who are separated are most likely. 52% of people that are, have been separated are most likely to read their Bible. That's the highest out of all these categories. Well, except for the next one. Black Americans are the most likely to be Bible users, 57% while Asians and whites are the least likely. Asians at 27%, whites at 35%. The Bible use increases as people get older. Elders, it says elders, I'm assuming that means people that are, I don't know, 65 or above. 48% uh, are most likely, and Generation Z is the least likely to turn to the Bible. They say that 30% of Generation Z says that they'll read a Bible three or more times a year. 
uh, with regards to religious identity, evangelical, 70%, and historically black, 68%, Protestant denominations led the way in Bible usage. Catholics are an all-time low of 37%. At the previous church that I pastored, I handed out a, a one-year Bible reading uh, plan. And I did a little survey there at the church, and you would be amazed at the number of people that had never read the Bible completely through. Uh, there was one lady, she was over 70 years old, had been in church her entire life, and she told me, I've never read the complete Bible. Um, in fact, I, I found that to be the case in most people that I, I talk to, is they just never have read the Bible in its entirety. And that uh, really the only time most of them read it was when they were at church. That the Bible said on the coffee table or on a shelf on the dash of the car in the back seat or wherever it was until church time. And then they opened up the Bible and read along when the pastor read. Let me ask you something. If you fell in love with someone, your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, girlfriend, whoever it is, that you've fallen in love with, and you discovered there was a book written out there somewhere that told you exactly everything about them, their likes, their dislikes, their, their loves, their wishes, their, their dreams, and you found out about this book, you would do everything in your power to get that book, and you would read it from cover to cover. And don't tell me you wouldn't. If it's someone you love, personally loved, you would read that book cover to cover, and you would absolutely cherish that book. What about God's Word? When you think about it, God's Word is the single most important thing in our lives. As Christians, it is our connection between heaven and earth. It is our connection between the physical and the spiritual. The Bible, you could call it a field guide for our lives. If you've ever been sent somewhere and you didn't know anything about the terrain or what to expect... You need a field guide that tells you everything to look for and what to expect and, and things that you could eat or streams you could go to. And you would hold dear to that field guide if it was depending on your life. We should hold dear to this field guide, the Bible. Look at our opening text again, Hebrews 4 and 12. The Bible says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Notice the first part of that verse, the word of God is quick. Now that doesn't mean it's fast. That doesn't mean it can run. What that means is it's alive. That's what that word means. Quick means to live or to be lively is what it means. In other words, God's word, God's book is an alive book. It's a living, breathing book. In Psalms 33 and 6, the Bible says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. We know that God created man by breathing breath into his nostrils. And so God's breath, it's alive, it's lively, it's working, it's quick, it's powerful. And that same breath that spoke the heavens and earth into existence and it breathed life into man, it's the same breath that makes up the Word of God. God is the author of the Bible. If anybody ever tells you, who wrote the Bible? Well, God wrote the Bible. 
He used human penmen to pen down the words that he gave them. And so God is the author. He used human penmen to write down the words. It was not men that inspired the text. The Bible says this in 2 Peter 1 and 20. It says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. How did they move? Because God's word is quick. It's alive. It's powerful. And so he moved these men to write down these words. And so for the word of God to be quick and alive, it must be God-breathed, not man-breathed. When you start seeing man interject his thoughts and, and his wishes and, and whims and fancies into something, it is not God's. It's not God's breathed. It's not God's word. And you can read a lot of books by man, which you may enjoy. I enjoy reading books. And you may be inspired to some extent, but you're not going to be inspired the way God's word inspires you. Uh, you can get excited over what men write and think about those things. You may enjoy those things, but none of the world's books are actually alive, and none of them can give you life. None of them. My favorite book growing up was Dr. Seuss' Hop on Pop. It was my very favorite book. I mean, I read it from cover to cover. We, we, we didn't, couldn't afford the book to buy it ourselves. So we checked it out at the library, and every time I went to renew that book, I went to renew that book again. There came a time when we went to the library, and I had an overdue book, and it was Hop on Pop. And I was like, I don't know where it's at. We looked everywhere for that, but we could not find that book. We ended up having to pay for Dr. Seuss's Hop on Pop to the library, and we couldn't even afford to buy it ourselves at the Kmart. But years went by, and years later... Our refrigerator tore up. We moved it, and underneath the refrigerator was Hop on Pop. It had been there for years. But that book, while it brought me great joy as a young boy, and I like to hear people read it to me, it didn't inspire me. It didn't give me life. Only the Bible can give you life because it's a living book from a living God. Psalm 84 and 2 says, My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Friends, the Bible is an alive book from an alive God. These other books that uh, are considered holy books by some uh, religions, if you want to call them that, uh, they write about things, but they're not written by a, an alive God. All those gods that they worship are dead. The God that we worship is alive. Our text says there, back in our opening text, that the Word of God is powerful. That means it's active, that it's energetic, and it is an effective, is what that means, powerful. Isaiah 55 and 11 says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Notice in that text it did not say it may prosper or it might. Or if they listen it might. No he said if it goes out and it will accomplish that. It shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. God's word never fails. 
Now, you may speak someone God's word and you may think that it failed, that the, it didn't take or they didn't understand it or, or perhaps it didn't penetrate their heart or their mind. But that's not the case. God's word always goes out and accomplish what he pleases. Now, you may be planting a seed when you read someone God's word. You give them a Bible tract that has God's word in it. Just a simple planting of a seed when they read God's word because God's word is powerful. And, and, and it, it is alive. And so you can just read his words and those words will come to life inside of you. But you plant that seed just by giving somebody God's word. And the next thing you know, the conviction sets in. The Holy Spirit does the work. We don't do the work. The Holy Spirit comes along and convinces them they're a lost sinner, convicts them of their sins, and then leads them to the Lord Jesus. You may notice a lot of times before I preach, I may say, if you have your copy of God's Word. All through seminary, uh, Pastor Sexton always said, always make sure that people understand that you're reading from God's Word, not man's Word. And he said, you need to say something right up front to let everybody know this is God's Word. So that's what I adopted for my saying, is if you have your copy of God's Word. That is not a filler to put in there just to sound good. It's for us to recognize and realize this book that we're reading is God's Word. That it is powerful. That it does bring life to men. It's not just any book. We're not reading from the Reader's Digest. It's not the Guidepost. Guidepost is a good publication, but it's not the Guidepost we're reading from. It's not a Dr. Seuss book. But it is God's Word. And it's active. It's effective. It's powerful. And God says it will accomplish that which he pleases. The Bible is powerful enough to change countries. You know, complete countries have been changed by God's word. You would never know it today, but over in England, England used to be a powerhouse for God's word. They had uh, massive churches, great preachers. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, with thousands of people there in his, in his tabernacle and, and all over the place to hear him preach. Sadly, in England, God's Word now, while it's still there, and we know some missionaries there and things, now they're turning the church houses into pubs. And so we see a difference in, in how things have changed. But God's Word is powerful enough to change countries. It changes men and women. The worst sinner in existence can hear God's Word and be completely changed. That once abusive husband, he can become meek, and a gentle man that once deadbeat father or mother, they can become a loving and caring parent again. That drunk, he, he can become sober. That drug addict, he can become clean. The atheist can become righteous. Over in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, the Bible says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So the Bible is the most powerful book on the face of the earth. Next in our text there in Hebrews 4 and 12, the Bible says that the Bible is sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, we don't really use swords much anymore. My son collects katanas. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's what the, they use to fight with. He, he likes to collect those. 
you may watch videos where people cut watermelons in half with them. They're great big long. But anyway, we don't use swords much these days, but a two-edged sword cuts in both directions. That's the purpose of it. If it misses going, it's going to get you on the way back. And the Bible says that's what God's word is, sharper than any two-edged sword. They would keep those swords razor sharp. Isaiah 49 and 2 says, And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me, and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver hath he hid me. You can't escape the cutting path of a two-edged sword. It's sharper than even a Ginzu knife. Y'all remember those commercials? A Ginzu knife. It slices, it dices, you know, the Ginzu knife. Watch it cut through this can. Now it'll peel a tomato. It's sharper than that. Uh, God's word has cut down the mightiest of men. The, the mad men. The wicked men. Sinful men. God's word has cut them down. And it is designed to cut in both directions. Ephesians 6 and 17 tells us, And take the helmet of salvation... And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You see that? God's word is the sword of the Spirit. We're to use God's word as a sword because it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Notice again back in our text, it says, Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow. I notice here that the sword pierces meaning it also has a sharp point. It's not just sharpened on both sides, but it also has a sharp point so that it can pierce through something. The Bible has the ability to penetrate through the toughest men's hearts. In 1 Peter 1 and 23, the Bible says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. You know, a lot of people get confused and think that the spirit and the soul are the same thing. I've heard many times people refer to the spirit or the soul as if it is, is one. It's the same. But our text says otherwise. It says that this sword can pierce even to the dividing of asunder of soul and spirit. So this tells us from God's word, our soul and our spirit, they are not the same thing. They're separated. You can see the division in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23. The Bible says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we believe the Bible, then we must realize that we are made up of body, soul, and spirit. All three, body, soul, and spirit. Get this picture in your mind, if you will, of a large circle, a round circle. Inside the circle are two other circles. So you have a large one, you have another one, and then you have one right in the middle. You must first get through that first layer to be able to penetrate to the next one. And so the outside circle would be your body. The next layer would be your soul. And then the middle layer would be our spirit. And see, the problem is our soul causes us trouble and it it hinders our spirit our text gives us two different descriptions of how god's word can pierce and divide it says first the soul from the spirit and then secondly the joints from the marrow now we all know what marrow is it's inside the bone my sister had to have a bone marrow transplant 
where they actually go in and they take out the marrow that you have and they replace it with a donor marrow. Now, it didn't take for her. She eventually passed away. But the marrow is inside the bones, and that's where life is. Your life resides within that marrow. If Without it, without the right marrow in there, if it's tainted or if it's infected, you, you can't live. And so the Bible even cuts all the way through just like it would the marrow inside of a joint, inside of a bone. You've got to first get through a layer of bone to get down to the marrow. If you take a chicken leg and you snap it like that, you're going to find marrow down inside of it. And so you have to penetrate it first. And so that's why a lot of times uh, people consider the soul and the spirit as the same thing. But God's word clearly teaches they're two different things and they can be divided. Now, I said our soul is what causes us trouble. Our soul is what gives us bad intentions and bad thoughts. It often keeps us from being the Christian that we need to be. Our soul does. That's why it's important that we maintain our soul and keep it healthy. That's why it says in 3 John 1 and 2, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. See, God desires for our soul to prosper. And for our soul to prosper, we must be in His Word. We must be taking His Word in. It must be sweeter than honey to us. We need to to have it down inside of us. And so that helps our, our soul. But the soul's not the spirit. The Bible teaches that the Lord is with our spirit. 2 Timothy 4 and 22, The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. And so for us to get past the problems that our soul gives us, we must pierce through and separate the soul from the spirit and let God do the work. Our text tells us that the word of God does this. And so if you're going through life and you're going through troubles and and problems and you're neglecting God's word, you may want to pick it up and start reading. You're going to find that sooner or later, God is going to speak to you through his word. It's going to penetrate down in there. It's going to separate that soul and that spirit, like the bone from the marrow. And so, what have we seen so far? God's Word's quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It separates the soul and the spirit. But then, the next part of that text, look at that, and this is the troubling part. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That word discerner there means to judge or make a decision. If you need to discern something, that means you've got to understand it. To understand means that you discern right from wrong or you discern truth from from fiction. uh, So we have to have discernment. And the Bible says that the word of God is that, it does that. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God has the power to judge our hearts. We can read it and be convicted of of things. I know I can. If you've ever sinned and then you get into God's Word and you start reading, it's almost like God reaches out and punches you. See? Right there it is. I know God wouldn't ever punch us like that, but I'm just telling you, when I read God's Word, it is so powerful and it discerns me, my thoughts, my heart, that it's like I'm getting punched. And so many times in the Bible, we're told that our thoughts proceed from our heart. That's troublesome. 
Matthew 5 and 19 says, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These things come from within our wicked, sinful hearts. It's what causes us to sin is those thoughts down inside of our heart that we try to keep hidden from everybody else. You can't hide them from God or his word. We say a lot of things. We make a lot of boastful comments, flatter people with our lips. But it's just lip service. A man's true thoughts proceed out of his heart. If somebody says something wicked about you or sinful about you, and then they try to cover it up by saying, I didn't really mean that. They come from their heart. They come from their heart. Matthew 15 and 8 says, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. What an awful thing to think about. To actually come to God's house in the pretense of worshiping God, saying great things and great words so everybody can hear you, what you say. Sing songs to... So everybody knows you're singing about the Lord, but down in your heart, you really are just going through emotion. You're just going through the steps, what I've always done. You know, hey, it's Sunday. I'm going to church, going to sit on the pew, going to sing some songs, going to say some righteous sounding stuff. But down in our hearts, is it right? Are we being true to God? Are we just playing, paying lip service? When we stand up saying, oh, how I love Jesus. Do you really mean, oh, how I love me? Jesus comes second. Because he knows the intents of our heart. He's a discerner of our thoughts. If I could get inside your head, if you could get inside my head and see the thoughts that come from my heart, if I could see the thoughts that come from your heart, we would walk away and we would never see each other again in our lives. It would terrify us. It would sicken us to know what each one thinks that comes from their heart. God knows those things. He's a discerner of those things. The number one problem that most people have when it comes to the Word of God is they simply do not read it. There's a lot of people that own Bibles this is this this place that we live in right here in Knoxville, Tennessee. It's usually considered the number one Bible-minded city in the, in the country. <laughs> I don't know if it's because of Crown College or or whatever it is, or just the many churches that we have. You know, we've got a church every you know twelve hundred feet. You can go out in the parking lot, and throw a rock, and hit two or three churches. Uh, but we're considered one of the most Bible-minded cities. Chattanooga uh, usually is as well, uh, but. The Bible says in Proverbs 14 and 12, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You see, men and women today seem to think that they don't need the Bible, that they can get along just fine without it and do whatever and think whatever and, and say whatever they want to. The problem is that is not biblical. That is not what God's Word says. People today don't base their thoughts on the ideas of the Bible any longer. Used to. People would say words and, and uh, phrases that came from the Bible. A lot of the common phrases you hear these days actually came from God's Word. But now as we see things changing, as we see the world crumbling, as we see the end nearing, as we see that day approaching, things are very different than they used to be. 
Pastor Sexton often also said our philosophy needs to be based on our theology, and our theology must come from the Word of God. So if you're basing your theology and and uh, your philosophy, you know, a lot of people have philosophy in life. Well, my philosophy in life is to just live a good life and treat people good and, you know, this and that and whatever, keep my yard mowed. A lot of people's got a lot of ideas. They've got a lot of philosophies. But the, if they don't come from God's word, they are useless. Our philosophy must come from our theology. And our theology must come from God's word. If it's coming from Joel Steen's number one selling book, If it's come from Beth Moore, it must come from God's Word. God's Word. There's a lot of great men that have done a lot of great things, and they've been called philosophers, and a lot of people follow those people. But their philosophy is built on something other than God's Word. That's why you have Buddhists. That's why you have these false religions. They're basing it on something other than God's Word. The whole Mormon religion is based off something else, not God's word, based on a, on a dream that somebody had and, and fancy somebody made up. As Christians, we must base our ideas and thoughts on God's word. Now, not everybody can understand the Bible. If you're saved, you should be able to discern God's word. You may not understand exactly everything completely, but there should be some discernment there. If people are not saved, they don't have that same ability. They can't discern God's word the same way that you and I can. Now, they can study it. They can even quote it. They can tell you things about it. may even learn some things, glean some ideas and stuff off of it. But they don't understand it to the, to the point of having salvation because they have not had the Holy Spirit illuminate the Scripture for them. You and I have an advantage over the lost person when it comes to God's word is that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us that gives us an illumination of the Scripture. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 16. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of, of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he might instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And so we as saved people do have this uh, discernment within us that God gives us, that we're able to compare spiritual things with spiritual. When you see something going on, is it God's fire or is it strange fire? A lot of people today don't know the difference. A lot of people today, you could go into church, perform some kind of crazy activity, and they'll attribute it to the Holy Spirit when it has nothing to do with Him. Strange fire. Strange fire. 
things that man's come up with. The truth is the average Christian only reads the Bible when they are at church, when the preacher is reading or their Sunday school teacher is teaching. And that's the extent of their Bible reading. Look, Bible study is not easy work a lot of times. It's not. You've got to stick with it. And uh, it's something you've got to put forth effort to. It's odd to me, though, that people will want to read a lot of books about religion. They'll read books about the Bible, but yet won't study the Bible. I want to see what this guy's saying. I mentioned some names there. Beth Moore, Joel Steen, some of these hotshot sailors, T.D. Uh, Jakes, Max Licata, all these, these, uh, these writers out there. It's fine to read their books if you want to, but if you're reading their books and you're not reading the Word of God, we failed. We must see what God says, not what Beth Moore thinks. Some people have said to me things like, I wish I had an understanding of the Bible like you do, Brother Byron. And always, every time they do that, I think, oh, if you only knew how little I know. I wish that I understood the Bible better than I do. I've studied on it years and years, but I still don't understand like I should. Look, God expects us to read and study his word. Paul, writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, says this in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So it's not just a matter of reading the Word, skimming through it and saying, i got to get through this. I need to read the Bible. So I'm going to read this and that and everything. It's not just a matter of doing that, reading it. You need to understand it. You need to study it. You need to meditate upon the Scripture. That's how you learn God's Word. Just browsing through it doesn't mean anything. And so we compare Scripture with Scripture, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, going to mention this much, but a lot of people think a preacher shouldn't even concern himself with preparing a sermon, studying and getting prepared. He ought to just get up there and whatever God gives him, just open his mouth and let him preach. Do you not think God gave me the words all week long in my studies of his word, of what he wanted me to say? And I know some preachers that do that. They don't, they don't study all week. They sit on the bench, and, and you see them sitting there before they, they're preaching, and they're nervous as they can be because they don't know what, and they're flipping through the Bible and going on and on. And so they'll get up and say the same verses that they said last Sunday and, and then start talking about everything else. But we've got to know God's Word. We have to study it. We have to absorb it. We've got to know it. Look, we need to be biblicists today. You know, it, it's one thing to be a, a member of the church, or to call yourself a Christian, but we need to be biblicist. The average person, if they come knocking on your door, those Jehovah Witnesses, those Mormons, the Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I think they call them now, if they knock on your door and they've got a Bible in their hand and they flip it open, do you panic? You think, oh, no. Because let me tell you something. Those guys have sat in a room and they have studied that. They've absorbed it. They've memorized it. And they know exactly where they need to go to show you stupid Baptists on how wrong you are. And so a lot of people, they, they panic because they don't know the Word of God. Last time they read it, at church Sunday, when the preacher said, let's read the Word of God. Paul when he was in prison and he was speaking to, his, to Timothy again, he said this in 2 Timothy 
the cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee, and the books. And then he says, but especially the parchments. This man was in prison, and he could have enjoyed these other things. His cloak, for one thing, that's a coat. That's an outer coat he would have wore to keep himself warm and comfortable and everything else. But besides all that, Timothy, if you can't bring that stuff, especially bring the parchments. The parchments was the word of God. It was God's written word. If all Paul needed to do was wait around before time to preach and prepare a message, why on earth was it so important for him to have those parchments? Because he knew he needed to study the word of God. He needed to keep it ingrained with him. Look, I don't believe that's what God intends for us to do is just sit around and wait. Uh, uh, 1 Timothy 4 and 13, the Bible says, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Our doctrine comes from the word of God. Lastly, and we'll be finished, the proper study of God's word requires our time. It requires that time away from when you normally would have been sitting watching Netflix or Hulu, or playing PS5. I like to play it. I play those fight games. I, I like those. I'm not good at it, but I like them. But it, if we, we need to take time away from those things, you know, we can fill our, our day up uh, on Facebook and Twitter and all these other things that distract us. And that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to distract us. He, it, you know, he knows he can't touch your soul any longer if you've been saved. But he can sure distract you, keep you all tied up all day long, keep you out of God's word. As long as he does that, you're no problem to him. What he don't want is for people to know God's word, to understand God's word, and tell other people about God's word. So if you go ahead and play your games and, and Hulu and, and everything else. Do all that, and you're just fine. And so a lot of people will mistake Bible reading as a chore they must get through. Have you ever been there? All oh, preachers said, I need to read the Bible. I guess I'll, I'll try to read the book of Mark. I'll try to read through First John. No, the second and third John. I can do them in about five minutes. And so a lot of people think it's some chore they got to get, get through, something they're trying to do just to get through it. My very first assignment when I went to the first seminary I went through, the first thing we were to do was to read the Bible all the way through in a period of three months. And I'll never forget doing that because I work full time. I'm a, I, I, I raised a family. I was, I'm a husband and a, and a father, and I work for a living. And I was going to seminary, and I had to read the Bible all the way through in three months. And you know what I did? It was a grueling thing. And I went through there just like a power reader. And I got through that. And you know when I finished? I couldn't tell you a thing I read, except for what I remember from my you know days of studying. But I did it just to complete an assignment. For the Scripture to really sink in, to be revealed to you, you must pray and meditate upon it. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way. And when thou liest down and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand. And they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. You see what the Lord's doing here. He wants us to always have the Word of God fresh in our minds, 
right there in her side. Here this, this year, Mary, is, is she started writing scripture on a dry erase board that's hung on the side of our refrigerator. And you go through our house and you can read. She's got different verses of scripture that we can read. She changes it from different occasions and uh, holidays and things. And if we incorporate scripture into our daily lives and make it part of everything that we do, we're going to realize that suddenly they start coming from our heart. Those things that we've read and we've studied and meditated upon it, now it's coming out of our heart. And what that leads to is the words of God coming from your mouth. What proceeds from your heart comes out of your mouth. And so, you know, you may think, well, I've read this verse a thousand times. I don't need to read it anymore. You know, I'm always amazed the many times I've read a passage of Scripture and then I go and read it again and God shows me something completely different. And he illuminates that scripture uh, in a way that I've never seen it before. And that always amazes me. I love to do that. So read it over and over and over. And let me remind you what Paul wrote to Timothy. 2 Timothy 3 and 14 says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So we see there that our, our study of God's word, it makes us a perfect man. But did you notice what it said it did? It says it brings us to faith salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus Romans 10:17 so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God you may have someone in your life maybe your family your co-workers friends whoever it may be that's lost today do you have enough of God's word down in your heart where you can tell them what God says do you have enough knowledge of God's word where you could open it up and say, let me show you right here what, what God's word says about this. Do you have that? Oh, friends, we ought to be ashamed of ourselves. We don't know God's word any better. Help us this morning. Brother Scott, come get a song. I appreciate everybody's good attention this morning. And, you know, I often ask the Lord, Lord, is, are you sure that's what you want me to preach? And he gives me the green light. And he says, yes. Let's pray together. If you have a need today, you come to the altar. Father, we thank you so much for the message today. Lord, we know how important it is to know your word. God, as Christians, as your children, God, may we absorb it. May we take it in, God. May it do a work in our hearts, God, and proceed from our lips. God, may we not pay lip service, but Lord, just the truth of what you say. Help us, Father. Lord, if there's one here today that needs help with it, Lord, they need to, to buckle down, Lord, and get in your word and, and fall back in love with it, God. Would you help them with it today? Help me today, Lord, to be a better student of yours. Lord, if there's one that needs help, would you lead them to the altar this morning and let us pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead, brother.